Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You'll probably hear me say this a lot this week, but thanks, just thanks to all of you. Thanks for tuning in, being a part of these shows while I'm on vacation. Thanks for allowing me to take a vacation, need one from time to time. Good chance for us to get away. So this is actually the first trip my wife and I have taken together, just the two of us, and really quite some time i was trying to think you know trips that we've taken that didn't involve the kids it's been a been a couple handful of years since we've done that so we're on a beautiful royal caribbean cruise ship right now we're having a a good time doing that um i'm of course pre-recording this right now so i just am excited about the whole thing um and just very thankful to be able to do this show and very thankful to be able to deliver your product while i'm not here and have you tune in for all of that and hopefully we're making good use of your time while we're doing that now With that said, there is nothing that can yuck your yum more so than turning the conversation to the Georgia wide receiver spot. This is a time in which things are going great for UGA. There's national championships to be celebrated, and everybody's still basking in the glory of that. But when you think about lingering concerns for the program, wide receiver is just kind of one of those things that just brings up a lot of angst because it is the one spot. And I I do truly believe this. This is my kind of 30-second hot take and kind of crackpot opinion, if you will that the overall talent level for Georgia at wide receiver only seems really low in comparison to the rest of the talent level that exists in the program. In other words, if Georgia recruited all the positions, the way that it recruits wide receivers, you've had, what, four top 100 signees over the course of the last three years, I think, that, that it, you know, if, if that's kind of, you know, what you're doing at most positions, then Georgia would kind of be thought to be a pretty talented team and yeah, that would be, you know, the kind of thing that you maybe not really think all that much about it, but that level of talent at wide receiver in comparison to the, my gosh, the enormous collection of five stars that seem to congregate almost every other position group causes the perception of wide receiver to suffer by comparison. And that's just something that I feel like I've noticed. However, that is not the same thing as saying there isn't a need for that position to to improve because you do want to be balanced. You want to be complimentary. You want to, you know, one of the things that a lot of the analytics people do now is they they make reference to college football performance on the basis of a grid that's kind of supposed to look like a wheel and you don't want to be too imbalanced on one side or, or the other you you kind of want to be you know kind of fully filled out so that the wheel theoretically could spin if it's if it's too much on one side not enough on the other then that wheel's not going to spin very well and that's kind of one of the visual things that analytics folks kind of use to to chart and 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 uh and make reference to college football performance. And we understand that if if Georgia was a wheel of how good you are defensively, how good you are in some aspects, that the overall performance of wide receiver probably wouldn't be quite as filled out as at some of the other positions. And that is one of the jobs that Georgia faces here this upcoming season, starting in spring practice here in a few weeks. The third year of Todd Munkin, presuming that, that that's going to take place, is one of those things that can help improve that performance. An influx of new talent to the program is also one of the things that can help that there as well. With that in mind, Kirby Smart spoke about some of those 2022 wide receiver signings going back to National Signing Day. Some of these are guys that you maybe know a lot about. In some cases, maybe it's a guy that you haven't really you know, had as much time to consider. But in terms of what Georgia still needs to do at wide receiver and getting more of the kind of guys that can help Georgia do it, something that Smart recently talked about, uh, this is what he said there at the time. Well, I think it starts with speed. 
you got to have vertical speed down the field, and we feel like we've got some guys that can really stretch the field and do that. Um, high character, you got to be able to, to, to learn. you got to be able to uh, buy into the, the offense, the, the understand the splits, understand the route tree, understand all the things, the intricacies that go into playing the position. Um, and we got a really good group there. I think each one of those guys that we've been able to bring on board brings a different attribute, you know, whether it's excellent speed, excellent size, uh, quickness, toughness. All those things you look for, and um, in, in, in wideout is another position that when you look across the board, we're we're down. Like we were down all year, not just because of injury. We were just down because we had three or four leave, um, and now we're trying to replace all those guys and play catch up, uh, and that's tough to do in, in, in our league. I like to have the numbers where we kind of hit quota, and if you're finding out more and more now, it's easier to leave than it is to get them. So we got to get some more guys there. So Kirby Smart lays it out. Wide receivers concerned, both in terms of the performance you have from the players you you got, but also the fact that maybe Georgia just feels like it's overall Kirby calls it a quota. It's overall quota of numbers is is lower than he'd like for it to be, and that's where a new wide receivers coach like Brian McClendon steps to the forefront. He has a chance to maybe make that change and you hear smart lay out what he thinks of the three aspects of what it takes to be a good wide receiver the requisite speed of course smart mentions that there in that clip but he also talks about the character and i don't know that character has ever been more important than it is right now in college football because listen there is just a natural impatience that kind of creeps in with all of us and maybe in college football right now because of the presence of the transfer portal i'm not saying everything about the portal is bad nor everyone who does transfer is somehow deficient in character that's not what i'm saying but there is still a reward to be had for someone who is willing to stick it out and develop himself and allow things to develop around him. But there is still a chance that patience can be rewarded. And having the kinds of receivers that understand that, I do think, will remain you know, pretty important for UG. And Smart speaks about that there. He also talks about the ability to kind of understand what's going on. This is one of the things I don't think we fully appreciate is just how complicated football's kind of gotten, especially on the offensive side. And oftentimes we think about quarterbacks having to know a lot of those kinds of things but now it's wide receivers who also have to know a lot there as well because of all the intricacies that exist in a offense like the one that that todd munkin wants to run so smart kind of lays that out of you know you got to have the speed you got to have good character you got to be able to understand things these are the things that's required to be good here and thankfully for georgia this upcoming season there's a presence of veteran wide receivers karis jackson coming back for instance is a pretty big deal we'll talk more to terrence edwards about that coming up on thursday but also to to give you the chance to be as good as you can be bringing in guys like Alan morissette or cole spear challenge chandler smith uh, the names you want to mention bringing in those new crop of wide receivers really important there too and this is where the time of year we find ourselves in right now important to think back to what happened a year ago with the possibility that something like that might also be able to happen again that that you know sometimes life is very predictable georgia goes out and wins a recruiting battle for a guy like george pickens that's a five star the thought was wow that's going to pay big immediate dividends for georgia he's going to likely be very good right away and you know what that's exactly what turned out to be the case pickens really was just very good almost from the very beginning of his career and when he was healthy enough to play for uga was really a very special player you knew coming into it that georgia over the years hadn't had very many like george pickens and that's pretty much exactly what his career turned out to be that sometimes stuff like this is just quite predictable but other times there are moments when you get some pleasant surprises things you didn't necessarily expect to be true and this time a year ago we all started to become quite aware of 
what turned out to be a very pleasant surprise for UGA. A.D. Mitchell, another receiver, kind of like some of the guys that Georgia signed this year that really did not have much of a recruiting profile. In fact, had a little bit of an unorthodox backstory, spent some time away from the game of football, and uh, a lot of what had led Mitchell to UGA did not necessarily argue for him having great immediate success at Georgia and certainly not what he was able to do by the end of the year. But boy, as recently as G-Day a year ago, already had a little bit of a spotlight on him as a guy that might be able to contribute right away. So this is what Smart said about A.D. Mitchell after a little bit of a breakout performance in G-Day that had come on the heels of a spring in which he had earned quite a lot of buzz for himself. This is what Smart said at the time. We thought he was a talented player. Uh, he's another one of the guys that, that we we think we do as good a job as him in the country doing research on players and evaluating players. It's not about what they're ranked, what what the, the media says about them, what the recruiting rankings say. We watch the tape. The tape speaks volumes. Uh, in the case of Jordan Davis, it spoke volumes. In the case of Adonai Mitchell, it speaks volumes. These guys that we evaluate ourselves, we thought he was a really good player. And we didn't care what everybody else thought. And he's a he's a good football player. So um, we, we we evaluated him, kept recruiting him. Uh, he came in. We didn't get to see him in early in the bowl practice. He actually had got sick right when he got here and never got to really bowl practice with us. So it was very unfortunate that he was here like eight days and never got to practice once. Then he had to go home. Then he came back. Uh, he worked out well. Um, he's he's gotten uh, himself in in decent shape. He needs to get in better shape. But uh, he made plays. He made plays during the spring. So that is Kirby Smart, and you love the confidence that Smart shows in saying, we trust our evaluation of uh, A.D. Mitchell. We didn't care what anybody else thought about him. We thought he was a good player, and we all found out last spring just how good he really was. Then Smart went on after G-Day a year ago to say something else about Mitchell that I think, boy, just sounds so much more appropriate now that we know how his first season with the Dogs came to an end. Kirby on Mitchell once again. When you got a guy like that that steps up, it's almost a bonus. You know, we lost George and it forced him to play more, but man, he picked it up fast. And uh, when Jermaine went down, he had to get even more reps. So we're really excited about AD and think he's a really good player. And the last probably three practices of spring ball were his best practices. Can you imagine for a moment, what if you had a time machine and you at that moment could have gone into the future? You could have seen the fact that against Alabama in Indianapolis, uh, you know, in a national championship game with the game on the line, Mitchell's going to catch a ball that gives Georgia, you know, the, the the lead there, such a pivotal play in that fourth quarter against the Alabama Crimson Tide and such an indelible moment in a fourth quarter filled with those kinds of moments, the Mitchell touchdown catch, such a, uh, a you know, a, a big part of that. And if you could go back and tell Kirby Smart, hey, you know, Kirby, uh, guess what? You remember um, – you know, remember all that stuff you're saying about A.D. Mitchell? Well, guess what he's going to do at the end of the season? It's just so cool to think about how his year ended with Kirby Smart just acting pleasantly surprised at the time that he was even good enough to, to be a guy that could play, maybe a, an add-on to dealing with some injuries and needing more receivers, and yet Mitchell kind of shows up as a guy of, oh, wow, this guy, we didn't get to see a lot of him you know, prior to the start of spring practice, but look what we have in this guy right now. And it would have been so great to say, well, guess what's about to happen here? He's got even more exciting things coming in his way. And what's funny is, you know, he, uh, of receivers coming back for this year, you know, not even the guy that necessarily even had the best numbers. You know, Aladdin McConkey probably had slightly better numbers than that. And it just speaks to the opportunity that exists for Georgia here in this upcoming season, where receiver has been a, a pretty big concern for this team now for quite some time. And 
you know, you've had individual guys that have kind of addressed some of that in George Pickens, but over the course of the long haul, it's still that one position group that I think the average Georgia fan just kind of wants to see a little more of. And you can't blink your eyes and be as good as this team has or that team has. Sometimes these kinds of changes happen slowly, more incrementally. But I do think it's appropriate to to pay attention to the way in which those incremental changes have occurred. I've told you many times before that, you know, in 2019, I, I just think this offense for UGA had a lot of issues. And you see the immediate transformation from when Todd Munkin takes over in 2020. The points per game number goes way up, despite the fact that Georgia was really playing a tougher schedule in 2020 than it was playing in 2019. There were no cupcakes. There was no Murray State. There was no Arkansas State. There was no Georgia Tech. There were no teams like that that you would beat up on. You had to play against SEC competition and then against the top 10 uh, Cincinnati team in the bowl game, and yet Georgia's points per game average actually went up. And then it went way up again here in 2021, really kind of approaching that 40-point-per-game number. So incrementally, the offense has gotten better, even if it hasn't always been reflected in the performance of the wide receiver position in particular. But in 2022, that could change here a bit. And I'm not talking about magically all of a sudden now you've got you know three and four guys playing like Alabama and Ohio State and some of these teams that have kind of thought to have the very best wide receivers but I am talking about another step forward and, and to me it's always been defined in a pretty simple term here the much the same way that a year ago Brock Bowers emerged as a tight end into a truly special player and listen you can call him a tight end if you want to I think that Brock Bowers was no worse than the third best receiver in the SEC last year behind probably Jamison Williams, maybe behind Traylon Burks. But listen, he may have even been better than Traylon Burks. I mean, he may have been the second best receiver in the SEC in 2021, despite the fact that it was technically a uh, tight end. But clearly, one way or another, he emerged as a special player, and Georgia did as much as it could to showcase the things that made him special, and he had a record-setting season in the process. To me, it just takes one more of those guys. And, and this is where it's kind of fun to think about. You heard Kirby talking about some of the guys that Georgia signed for the 2022 class, maybe someone emerging the way that an A.D. Mitchell once did. Or maybe it's a guy like Mitchell or Ladd McConkie taking their game to the next level. Or maybe it's a guy like Kyrus Jackson, a big veteran presence, who, believe it or not, signed with Georgia way back in the class of 2018. But he's still here, and he's got a lot of experience. Maybe he does something. Or maybe it's a Marcus Rosemey Jackson or Dominic Blaylock coming back from injury. There are no shortage of potential options. But can you have one of these guys break out? I'm not talking about you know the same number of touchdowns or even maybe even the same number of you know receiving yards that that Brock Bowers got a year ago because his season was obviously quite prolific. But if Brock Bowers is the Michael Jordan of your passing attack when it comes to catching catching balls, can you find somebody to also be the Scottie Pippen? Can you find somebody to play a complementary role to Bowers in that? When you look at the full list of receivers who are available to you, when you look at all the credentials they have for for what might cause somebody to step up, can you find one guy from that group? If you can't go along with what you already expect to have from Bowers once he's back healthy again, heading towards the fall, given the fact that the offense functioned as well as it did in here in 2021, that could be another step forward for this offense here for this upcoming season. And it could finally put to rest a lingering concern that Georgia fans have certainly gotten tired of having to worry about. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by engineered solutions of georgia hello to you and thanks for being with us no matter how you get to us today normally it's first in 15 945 dognation.com dog nation app we'll be back to doing that again next week for now it's 10 a.m facebook youtube twitter twitch radio noon athens sports radio 960 the ref including here on this vacation week and podcast form apple spotify world famous dog all kinds of great ways to listen to the show we just appreciate you being 
a part of all of those. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, when it comes to foundation, waterproofing issues, these are serious issues that a homeowner has to face. And these are the kinds of things that threaten the structural integrity of your home, the most important asset and arguably that you might have. And that's why you want to put, you know, the whole team and Engineered Solutions of Georgia to work for you if you're facing one of those concerns. Because these are smart folks, two full-time engineers on staff. That's a really good thing but also folks who understand the the value that your home represents in your eyes. And they want to be a solution to your problem if you're dealing with some sort of issue related to your home. They care about you. They want to do that for you. They're also proud partners of UGA. It's always really fun to support those that support the dogs. And they've been longtime friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily as well. And I really am thankful for those of you who also continue to show support for those who've been allies for us for such a long time. And so that's why I love recommending Engineered Solutions of Georgia for your foundation and waterproofing needs. So give them a call. The number could not be easier to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now, and that'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, so you hear me, a little fun on the wide receiver stuff there. We've been kind of in the midst of this spring preview a bit while I am taking some vacation time and on Friday's show going back to last week and Monday's show yesterday quarterbacks and running backs that was the topic how they kind of fill in around these wide receivers that you just heard me address right there and I want to keep this conversation going as well here for a moment good stuff coming up with Connor Riley it's part of a Kroger fresh take with him where we get into some of the questions I'd wondered about about how does quarterback play out here this season and some of the things related to the chance that Georgia running game takes a big step forward in 2022 maybe giving Georgia a chance at least in that one aspect to be better this upcoming year than it was a uh, year before all of that with Connor Riley coming up right now as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take thanks for being with us on the program today and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. It's a Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily here today. Vacation week for me. A little bit of pre-recorded stuff. Great time. Just a few weeks prior to the start of spring practice to look at some of the big stories. They're going to dominate the spring once that practice session gets here. I want to focus on some of the offensive stuff with uh, Connor right now and Connor, you know, obviously quarterback's been a hot topic. We've already addressed that a little bit already this week on the show. And I want to kind of touch on some of the, I think, the big questions related to quarterback that I see right now. And I want to start with, obviously, as you would expect, Stetson Bennett. And, you know, the thing that's kind of on my mind related to Bennett is a year ago, we heard Kirby Smart speak pretty forcefully, and I would say quite confidently about JT Daniels, treating him as a starting quarterback in a way that Smart really typically had not done. Now, we had no way of knowing how the season was going to you know, play out after that. But at the time, Daniels was getting a little bit of uncommon treatment. When the preseason, pre-spring practice conversation starts to happen around Georgia, do you think Bennett gets the same kind of treatment, or do you think he gets less than that going into uh, this spring campaign? I'd probably say less, just I think given the way the 2021 season sort of played out where JT was obviously the in-question guy, JT gets hurt multiple times. And then that question that Smart had named him as the starter, I think sort of lingered over the rest of the season and led to a lot of the discourse around Stetson Bennett, particularly the toxic variety and being, well, why is this guy the starter when you had previously been so confident in JT Daniels? Having said that, I do expect Stetson Bennett to be the starter for 
the duration of this Georgia offseason and even into the season opening game there against Oregon. I, I know a lot of people want to downplay what he did a season ago, but 29 touchdown passes, seven interceptions was a threat with his legs that I think really opened things up for this offense and I think is going to bring a lot of things that they want to do going forward. And so I, I think they like what they saw to Stetson Bennett last season. And while, yes, it won Georgia a national championship, I think there's also pretty clearly a couple of areas where Stetson Bennett can improve. And if he's finally getting these offseason practice reps, again, he only threw the ball six times in, in G-Day last year and was pretty much a four-string quarterback for most of the 2022 offseason. And I would even say – much of last year as well there. So with these extra practice reps that he's going to get this spring as the starting quarterback for this team, I do think there's a chance we continue to see Bennett get better just because of all the extra experience that he's going to be getting. Yeah, because for the most part, I agree with almost everything you're saying. I think instead Bennett had a very good season for Georgia a year ago. And it's weird that you didn't have to say that, but I think you do have to reinforce that point that Bennett had a very good year. Even if Georgia did not win the national championship, Bennett would have been a really strong performer for UGA in an offense that really functioned quite well throughout the year. But in terms of what Smart says about a potentially open competition or treating it as if it is for the moment not quite such an open competition, to me, this isn't so much about what Georgia has or doesn't have having Stetson Bennett, but it's what smart Todd Munkin can perceive exists with other quarterbacks there as well. It's just a little bit unfair, and I realize life isn't fair, but it's a little bit unfair to ask you know Carson Beck to go into a third year in the program without getting any consideration to be Georgia's starting quarterback, or to ask Brock Vandegriff, especially given the recruiting credentials he once had, to go into a second year in the program and not get any consideration for that as well. That's just seemingly not the way that things ought to run. Now, I also believe that for Beck or Vandegrift or maybe even Gunnar Stockton, but I'll keep it to the guys who've been here uh, primarily for the moment, I think it'll be difficult for either of those two guys to beat out Stetson Bennett because Bennett's got experience in the um, system and he obviously led Georgia to a national championship. But I am hopeful that those guys get a look in exchange for the fact that thus far they've chosen to be loyal to the program. Yeah, and I do think that's something you're going to see. And, and I think, again, because of the circumstances of what happened in 2021, that's why you're going to see, I, I think, Smart be hesitant to come out and outright say Kirby, or that Stetson Bennett is our starting quarterback on question. I, I think for a long time, the reason he was so hesitant and willing to name a starting quarterback, I think he didn't really ever do it with Jake Fromm when he was the quarterback here at Georgia, even though it was mostly pretty obvious, is because he wants to establish – a certain identity throughout the team that at any moment your number could be called. And I think Georgia actually, in a way, got very lucky last year with Stetson Bennett being able to step up to the plate in the manner in which he did when he was called upon. Because, again, you hear guys so often talk about be ready so you don't have to get ready. You know, it's not – we don't know how a young player is going to handle that. And so, you know, if it is a Carson Beck or it is a Brock Vandergriff who gets cast into that situation, you want to have them at least have some confidence that they're playing their best in practice and practicing their best so they can be a, a sort of starting caliber quarterback for this team. I think one day Brock Vandergriff in particular very well will be that for this Georgia team. But with Stetson coming back and all the experience that he has over Vandergriff, even though I believe Vandergriff has a higher upside and a better long-term future, I think it's hard to skew all of what Bennett has done for this program just for the potential hype and upside that a certain quarterback prospect. Is he better than Stetson Bennett? Because I think you and I are both of the mindset that, hey, Bennett's going to be kind of hard to beat out. But the real question around Vandegrift is, 
is he good enough that Todd Munkin would feel comfortable playing him? That's the real issue. You hear coaches talk a lot about being above the line. You know, is this a player exceeding the standard that we have for being good enough to play? And for me, that's what's going to be very curious to find out about Brock Vandergriff after a year in the program, being scout team quarterback and, you know, not really – not really having much of a game plan built around him. He was forced to adopt to some other game plan, you know, replicating some other quarterback. Can Vandegriff earn enough trust over the course of these spring practices where if Georgia says, hey, if we had to put you in a game, we feel okay about doing it. That's to me the first hurdle for Vandegrift to leap over is proving that he's the kind of quarterback that Georgia would trust in putting into a football game. Yeah, and I think for me, one of the things I'm really interested in is, is look at what Michigan did with their quarterbacks last year. Uh, Kate McNamara, obviously the more pocket passer, and I would say even more pocket passer type than Setson Bennett, but he was an athlete and able to make some plays with his legs over the course of the season there for Michigan. And at the same point in time, J.J. McCarthy was the future there and had so much greater athleticism and athletic upside that over the course of the season, they found situations for him to be inserted into the game. I'm going to be really interested to see if Georgia does that with Brock Vandergriff this season. Now you could have said, well, why didn't we see Georgia do that with Justin Fields? And I, to be frank, I don't think they ever really had a true plan for Justin Fields. I have a lot more faith in this staff going forward than I did in that 2018 staff. And it wouldn't surprise me if certainly this starting this spring, but even over the course of the season, because of the athletic ability that Vandergriff has and his ability to run, and you can be, I think, riskier with those abilities, when you have a trusted veteran in Stetson Bennett, you know that he's a guy who can make it through a college football season. You can put Brock Vandergriff in some situations where if you feel comfortable enough putting him out there against other teams' best shots, he's going to make a few plays and at the same point in time, gain valuable game reps because even though Stetson Bennett is coming back next season or this season, it's his last year no matter what. So I think one of the more interesting subplots to follow both this spring and even going forward is going to be what does Georgia do in terms of developing its quarterbacks going ahead into 2023, whether it be Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton. I think you now are in a place where you know you're not going to have Stetson Bennett next year. How do you go about developing depth in that room? And we've very clearly seen the only way to do that at the quarterback position is just by getting actual reps. To make on quarterback, then we'll transition, talk about running back here for a moment. And this is just a suspicion on my part, but I kind of have a hunch that Vandegriff may have been well served last year by getting to be scout team quarterback. He had a defined role. You know, Stetson became the starter. JT was the backup. Vandegriff was the scout team quarterback. Carson Beck, maybe through no fault of his own. I'm not quite so sure what kind of role he really had on this team in 2021. And I'm certainly not suggesting that means he's never going to play or never going to get a shot. But you kind of wonder the fact that Vandegrift got a chance to at least have a role last year during practice, knowing that one point in time Stetson Bennett was also scout team quarterback of some renown. Do you think Vandegrift is better served by the role that he played for Georgia last season as opposed to Carson Beck, who was probably pretty ill-defined in whatever it was that he was doing? So yes and no, because on the one hand, like I, I do believe in the value of reps and those practice reps that that Vandergriff was getting. But at the same point in time, I think Carson Beck has shown before, you know, even if he may not be getting all the reps in practice that we want to see him, or you would like for a quarterback to see last spring, he came out and 
did about everything that was asked of him. And I would say pretty clearly crushed it to the point where Tom Duncan had named him as the number two quarterback coming out of spring practice there. So we've seen Carson Beck in this situation before where he goes from a spot in 2020 where he wasn't getting a lot of reps because of the way practices were set up and all the COVID difficulties that come with that. And then going into next spring and really, I think, having a standout spring and playing well enough to be the number two quarterback, I guess the question that we're probably never going to get the answer to is what happened really with Carson Beck from, you know, when he had been clearly established as the number two quarterback to Stetson Bennett leapfrogging him and really putting him in a position where Beck can't get a whole lot of reps at practice because you have Vandergriff, who's a better athlete than him playing that scout team quarterback role. And then you have guys with greater experience in Bennett and JT Daniels ahead of him. I think it's going to be very interesting in what we see out of Carson Beck. And I expect, you know, come G day, you're going to see Georgia throwing the football a lot. And I think it's going to be a big time audition for both Beck and Vandergriff to showcase what they are potentially able to do for this offense. About running back here in a moment. Let me remind folks that our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here today. Of course, uh, Kroger got a great new membership opportunity uh, for so many of you. Kroger Boost, you've heard me talk about that before. It's just $59 for the year, and you get all kinds of great incentives. You get uh, twice the fuel points, you get free grocery delivery, and so many other cool things there as well. So if you check out Kroger.com slash boost, that's Kroger.com slash boost. You can learn a lot more about that today and take advantage of a great new membership opportunity for our friends at Kroger. You know, Connor, I'm a contrarian kind of by nature. I'm always thinking about things and, you know, that when a lot of people seem to think one thing, my mind just kind of automatically gravitates towards something else. And there's kind of conventional wisdom out there that maybe Georgia takes a step back in 2022 after having won the national championship in 2021 because of all it lost on defense and everything else. And I understand where that comes from. But there's one thought I can't quite get out of my mind. I feel like Georgia won the national championship last season without what I would think of as the characteristic that's defined its best teams under Kirby Smart prior to that. I would not characterize the Georgia running attack as great last year. That was good and certainly good enough to get the job done, but not great. Connor, what if it's back to being great again this season? What if the offensive line, which we've talked about with John Stinchcomb already this week, what if it takes a big step forward? What if Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, that pair of running backs and whatever you get from a Branson Robinson, a Dejon Edwards, whatever else, that becomes part of this discussion. What happens if the Georgia rushing attack is actually great again, given what Todd Munkin has shown himself to be able to do with the passing attack there as well? Is there a chance that maybe the Georgia offense this upcoming season is even better than it was in 2021? I find myself very, very interested in just how much this rushing attack develops over the course of the spring and what it ultimately shows on G-Day because, boy, I think there's some unrealized potential within this position group right now. Yeah, I guess my, my retort to you would be how much of it do you think is based on the offensive line? Because I actually think you know, from a running back talent standpoint – I think Georgia takes a small step back this season. I think James Cook and Zamir White were really, really good players, especially with what the roles they were asked to play last season. And I know Kendall Milton has a lot of upside and Kenny McIntosh has shown some, some serious flashes, but in terms of replicating what they brought to this offense, I don't think it's a, a, a clear and easy path of secession. Now, what does Branson Robinson do when he arrives this uh, this summer? What does Dejon Edwards do with more carries? I, I think he's a guy that, personally speaking, has impressed me a lot when he has played late in these games. If you're telling me that the offensive line is great, that's going to make things much, much easier for this rushing tack. 
But I do have questions about how, to use your word, great the Georgia running backs are right now. I, I think this year we might see a reverse of what we saw last year, where I think it was a great group of running backs and a good offensive line. I think this year you have a chance for a great offensive line, but I think what might only be characterized as a good running back room. Yeah, I think prior to 2021, the best offense for Georgia had occurred in 2018. And I think it's an important year to harken back on because, look, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle were historic figures. They're two of the greatest players in this program's history and maybe the best tandem of running backs to ever play together anywhere. That's that's not an uh, unfathomable you know, you know, thing to bring up. So when I'm talking about a tandem of running backs being great for Georgia, it doesn't have to be Chubb and Michelle. The numbers for Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift in 2018 were pretty spe- uh, spectacular in their own right. And while you know DeAndre Swift was kind of a high NFL draft pick, Elijah Holyfield really wasn't. And I think that speaks to what Georgia can do. Now, you're going to say, well, the 2018 offensive line had so many eventual first-round picks on it and high draft picks, and that's that's certainly true, which kind of goes back to the point you brought up a moment ago, which is a lot of this, for me, hinges on the offensive line. I've said this now multiple times. Had Tate Ratledge not gotten injured last year, I think the Georgia offensive line would have been even better than it was. And once again, a I, I believe good offensive line in 2021 would have had a chance to be great. So I think part of this for me is just, the, I guess, the full power of the top Munkin system when teams now have to be on guard and when defenses are put into conflict of hey they may run it they may throw it we don't really know what they're going to do all of a sudden running backs benefit from that system the same way that Brock Bowers did from the tight end position the same way you know any number of guys may from other positions that the running backs running backs may eventually just kind of benefit from a system that just functions very well with an offensive line that truly does open up holes for them the way that you know Georgia once did a couple of years ago. And I'll say this about the Georgia offensive line. When it comes to the quarterback position a year ago, it absolutely factored into the fact that Stetson Bennett was out there. I think his mobility helped cover up for some of the deficiencies that existed on that offensive line, especially after Tate Ratledge went down. So uh, to to sort of circle all this back, if you're telling me we get a great Georgia offensive line, I'm not saying good. I mean a true difference-making offensive line that is able to consistently open up holes on a week-to-week basis, regardless of who the opponent is. I feel much more confident about what you're going to see at the quarterback position. I think you're going to, you have a better chance of seeing a guy like a Brock Vandergriff because, again, Michigan's offensive line, if I'm remembering correctly, won the Joe Moore Award this year. So if you have more confidence in your offensive line, you have more confidence in putting perhaps a more unproven quarterback entity back there to get him reps. And above all, you've got an offensive line that is going to be able to open up holes regardless of the running back and not necessarily tie yourself into, okay, it's a physical third and short, second and short situation. Let's put Kendall Milton in there. It's more of a pass-heavy situation. Let's put a Kenny McIntosh in there. If you've got an offensive line that can win in both of those situations, something I don't know if Georgia had last season, if you have that, you can be more versatile in what you want to do offensively. And to your point, it's going to open up everything else for the rest of this Georgia offensive offense. Quick final point here. You can give this a short answer. Any chance or what chance do you give Branson Roberts to skip his place in line and maybe leapfrog somebody on the step chart? It's going to be tough personally for me, just given, and this might be surprising to some people, given obviously Robinson's recruiting ranking, how physically gifted he already is. I think with what we've seen from Kirby Smart from a recruiting standpoint in recent years, he really wants these guys to be early enrollees. And that really sets guys up to have success in that first season. Now we've seen guys like George Pickens come in and do that, but at running back where Georgia is more established than say Georgia was in 2019, a wide receiver, I do think it's going to make things a little bit more difficult for Robinson to jump 
a Dejan Edwards, a Kendall Milton into getting into serious running back one type of carries for him to make the kind of impact I think he can. So I think a year from now, Branson Robinson is a guy we're talking about a whole lot. But right now, as we sit here on, I guess, the middle of February, with him not being here this spring, I do think that plays a direct impact in how often he's going to be able to get on the field this season. Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here for our Kroger Fresh Take. We'll look forward to getting a chance to talk to you back live again uh, very soon as well. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Great to catch up with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily uh, here today. And now let's get ready to cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I am on, as many of you are aware, a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. As you are listening to me right now, I am basking in the sunshine somewhere, hopefully getting a tan and hopefully having a really good time and hopefully getting ready to have all of you join us on our own Dog Nation cruise coming up in the month of April. Now, if you go to dognation.com, you can find out more about this. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas, beautiful ship leaving out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. You've heard me talk a lot about Perfect Day Coco Cay. Private island right there in the Bahamas. There's a thrill side. There's a chill side. There's, you know, great collection of water slides for those of you interested in that. You know, tallest water slide in North America is over there. Largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. It's amazing, amazing setup. There's a chill side. You want the private cabana. You can do all that delicious food while you're on the island. So many fun things about Perfect Day Coco Cay, and it's just one of the things that makes – a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Such an awesome experience. So go to dognation.com. You can find out more about that. You can also check, uh, check out our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com, that website for them. And just connect and get booked and get on board. There's still a limited amount of time left to be a part of the Dog Nation cruise here in April. So make sure you check out all of that. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC now, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And what we've been doing here while I'm on vacation, taking a little bit of a snapshot look at you know, and you might can bring that music down just a tiny little bit if you don't mind. So looking a little snapshot look at, you know, what the rest of the SEC looks like in terms of what they're bringing in for the new year, kind of what the analytics folks are saying about them, what they did a year ago. And just to give you an idea of who's maybe a challenge to Georgia in the SEC East, what the rest of the league looks like. Uh, and we'll con- continue that right now. In fact, I want to take a look at the Missouri Tigers for a moment. And if I show you this in the screen, there is one thing about Missouri that's going to jump out to you. At least it should, I would say as quite different than probably anything you're used to seeing before how about missouri 14th in the country uh, according to the 2022 24 7 sports composite for its 2022 recruiting class after six and seven a year ago three and five in the sec but in the world of recruiting 14th for its 2022 class now obviously the big addition there was luther burden the five-star wide receiver but in addition to that missouri also signed six four-star recruits so Eli Drinkwitz, not very good on the field last year, but pretty good in recruiting. And, you know, Sam Horn, quarterback from the state of Georgia out of Collins Hill High School, this is a guy who I think can actually be pretty interesting for Missouri. I think he's a pretty good talent at the quarterback position. And that's one of those four-star signees that Missouri had. You know, he's also a very good baseball player and things like that. So, you know, in terms of what his long-term future is, I think that's, you know, something that remains to be seen. But I think Horn, if he wants to, can be a very good player. And uh, maybe we'll see some example of that in the very near future. Of course, the ESPN SP Plus does not think much of Missouri. Just 54th, according to that analytics preseason rating. Bring in a couple of interesting recruits. Ian Matthews, a defensive lineman from Auburn. Boy, a lot of defensive linemen left the Auburn program. Tyron Hopper, a uh, linebacker from Florida. So, so a little bit of you know stuff transferring into the program ultimately this may be another tough year on the field but some of that young talent 
Does it have a chance to blossom? Does it have a chance to grow? That might speak to an opportunity that exists for Missouri eventually. But the problem is, is you've got a lot of, you know, coaches in their second year now in the SEC East who are really trying to build on some, build on some success. Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel. You've got a whole collection of coaches in the SEC West who kind of came in around the same time as Eli Drinkwitz, and they really are, you know, starting to find themselves a little bit. Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman. Drinkwitz did get the win over Arkansas, what, two seasons ago, but still, Pittman had the nine-win campaign a, a year ago. You know, that suddenly, you know, it's hard for Drinkwitz to kind of find out where he fits into the SEC right now. They obviously need Luther Burden, the receiver that that Missouri got from uh, Georgia. You know, the recruiting battle they won over Georgia. They need for him to be a big player pretty well right away. A lot of the perception of Drinkwitz may hinge on that uh, maybe a bit. Another SEC team to preview here, there as well. Let's go to the SEC West and take a look at Mississippi State. And boy, it just seems like the same old, same old. It's kind of true for Mississippi State here in that, you know, after a disastrous first year for uh, uh, Mike Leach going back to 2020, you know, all of a sudden, you know, just going into last season, the there was a lot of chatter about, hey, maybe that second year bounce. They'd seen, you know, uh, Mike Leach teams have that before, whether it be at Washington State or at Texas Tech. And to a degree, I guess that kind of happened. I'll show you some of their profile here on the screen and read this to you. Did find a winning record last year, 7-6, and 4-4 four and four in the league. But isn't this amazing? The preseason SP Plus from ESPN, Bill Conley, 12th nationally according to this analytics rating, which is very similar to a year ago where the analytics folks kind of always seem to like Mississippi State Liked them a little bit last year. Liked them a pretty good bit here right now. Despite the fact that the overall talent level, boy, doesn't really argue for that necessarily. Just 27th in the 2022 cycle, according to the 24-7 sports composite for the recruiting class. Do bring in Marcus Banks, a nice addition, Alabama uh, defensive back. And obviously Justin Robinson, the wide receiver from Georgia. So they bring in a couple of nice uh, portal additions here and the person the banks may be a guy they're going to really lean on here pretty heavily right away and we obviously think that robinson has a chance to be a very good player but it's really kind of interesting how much analytics kind of likes mississippi state right now once again you just sort of deal with the situation which is very crowded in the sec west I mean, there's really no doormat in that division whatsoever and so you know maybe mike leach is on his way to improvement maybe he is on his way to building something there with them but ultimately, man, it's just kind of hard to fit in the SEC West where everybody sort of feels like they are a program on the rise. We'll make that cruise run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we'll also remind you to check out the finished long drink. Obviously, we are in kind of that time of year where the winter games have been ongoing. And the story of the finished long drinks also connected to international competition as well. Going back to when the summer games were in Helsinki way back in the 1950s. That's the origin story for the Finnish long drink. And if you check out thelongdrink.com, you can learn more about that and hear how it you know, kind of came to America a couple of years ago. And now it's available in Georgia or wherever you are online, thelongdrink.com. You can find out where you can pick some up. You can also discover more about the four different varieties that are available, whether it be long drink cranberry, which has a great cranberry flavor, along with a gin kick. The long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. Long drink traditional. Once again, that gin kick this time with kind of a grapefruit flavor. It looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's not a beer. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail right out of the can. So you can check that out more at thelongdrink.com. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. A lot of you have tried it, and you do seem to enjoy it. Many of you are also looking for your chance to try it. So maybe the time is now for you to do just that, longdrink.com, for more details. 
And as we wrap up here, let's do so in style. Golden Shoe, of course, the Golden Shoe, one of the great ways that we highlight all the gator haters in our audience. And sometimes the Golden Shoe is related to hating the gators, and sometimes it's related to something altogether different. So uh, Terry Rigdon shares this. I love this. He says, hey, uh, Brandon, I created my own watch face on my Apple Watch. Go dogs. How cool is that? To see the Georgia National Championship logo is kind of a screensaver there on his watch. Every time he looks down and sees the time, he sees the National Championship logo. That is really sharp, Terry. And we will make you a golden shoe winner for that. What a great thing to be able to see. Congratulations on still enjoying that National Championship. And congratulations on being a golden shoe winner today. By the way, lousy, stinking gators. Don't forget, 4,793 days. Long time since they have won a National Championship. And we'll keep reminding you of that each and every day. As far as our Gator Hater countdown goes, reminding you that dogs heading back to Jacksonville 251 days from right now, getting another win over those Gators. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.